The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcast where one of the hosts agreed with Mike Rabel when he said he would be neutered for a bowl. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I thought we were going to start the show with Mike Rabel. Uh, Bill Barnwell is my guest today. But then massive news dropped. Well, first news came out that Matt Eberflus likely to keep his job with Chicago Bears. I thought we would start with that. And then it was topped in further coaching news with perhaps the most shocking development, even more shocking, I would say, than the Rabel ousting Mm -hmm. of this cycle, which is that uh, Pete Carroll is no longer the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Bill, uh, let's just start right there. We're, we're, we're pre- here to preview the wild card round, by the way. And <laughs> the games are amazing. I'm excited to get into them, but we do have to start with this news. Um, I think as we are speaking, the Pete Carroll press conference might still be going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not sound like it was his choice based on the conference and what he's saying. What What is your reaction to this news and then ultimately to the decision? Mm. Shock, right? I mean, it's always kind of felt like Pete has been able to call his own shot there, for better or worse, since he got there. Like, you know, ownership obviously has changed. Paul Allen passed away. But I don't know. I've never got the vibe that somebody was telling Pete, like, your job is on the line or you need to have this happen. It always kind of felt like Pete would sort of leave on his own. Like, he's an older guy. He looks like he's 40 and he's much older than that. But it kind of figured, okay, when Pete is ready to retire, they'll make a change. They'll bring someone else and maybe they'll promote Shane Waldron or somebody else. And that day is coming, but it's not today. And then it was suddenly, unexpectedly, out of nowhere today. And I was shocked. I I think you can see Pete was shocked in terms of, I mean, he came out and after the after the season, he said, I want to keep coaching these guys. And it, it didn't really feel like it was, you know, really up for debate. But I mean, you know, you're one of the first people I thought of, obviously. I mean, when Pete got there, you were a fan of the Seahawks. Now you're a, you know, a very prominent and very talented football analyst on television. Like so much has changed for the Seahawks yeah. over the course of their time. Can you even remember what it was like when Pete got there to begin with? Yeah, I remember having mixed feelings about the hiring. Um, Mm -hmm. It is interesting. I was thinking back to the Holmgren era and, you know, the Seattle has has had like very good, uh, a good track record with their coaches. Yeah, obviously Holmgren was a great coach and and incredibly successful there. But um, I think just thinking back to how long it was ago when he came in, how quickly they became relevant it did mm-hmm. not take very long. It, you know, it started with the the uh, construction of the Legion of Boom and what would in the mm-hmm. defense, and then um, it was ultimately when they found Russell Wilson. But the but the fact that there's been so many different versions of the Seahawks under Pete Carroll, uh, different mm-hmm. versions with Russell Wilson, and then ultimately after before Russell Wilson, of course, and then after Russell Wilson, to have the level of success that he had is extremely rare in the modern NFL across multiple years his wins record is unbelievable the fact that they've always Mm -hmm. been like relevant during his tenure is is incredible um and and and, you know i i do believe he'll go down if he retires this year we'll see as one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport um i think as far as like today though i'm surprised because of what you said which is the amount of power he had accrued in the organization 
ultimately winning a power struggle with Russell Wilson, him, him and John Schneider, by the way. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the record of the team on its face, it is kind of similar to the Bill Belichick thing, only the opposite with, with, with Belichick. And we're still waiting for that decision. I think the reason why we've gotten to this point where his departure is still on the table, we'll see what happens. You might be listening to this. It might be decided by now is because mm-hmm. of the failures of the offense in new England and his contributions to the failure with Pete. I have to think it's because of the failures of the defense, a defense mm-hmm. that has underperformed now for about six years. <laughs> uh, they've been, you know, below average in DVOA pretty consistently for a really long time this year, mm-hmm. I think probably hit their lowest finishing 28th, really collapsing in the second half of the season. Um, I have to think if I'm Jody Allen, it, it was probably the Steelers game, watching the the defense put up a t- real stinker in a must-win game. Um, and then, you know, looking at your coach, and, that, and that's his side of the ball, and he, he has had the chance to try different coaches. He's drafted a lot of players, a lot of top players, uh, and it's not working. And I also think it's a defense that has underperformed relative to some of the talent available, mm-hmm. as well as making some bad personnel choices. So I'm sad. I think he's an amazing coach, credible record. But I guess ultimately where I come down, Bill, is the decision does make sense from a football perspective. Of course, that depends on who they bring in. Yes, that's the other part of it, I guess. And we can talk about that you know, next. But just in terms of, you know, like like what we we think about the Seahawks team, like there's always been an excuse, right? There's always been like, a, oh, well, we're just going to do this this offseason. We're going to trade for Jamal Adams. We're going to hire Clint Hurt. We're going to change our coordinator. We're going to bring in more pass rushers. Um, it, those, those never really stuck. And I think yeah. really over the last few years, it was one thing when it was just Sean McVay who was kind of torching the Seahawks, but when it was Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, and it felt like every single week when you come, like expect that Niners-Seahawks game, I know from my perspective, I'm not a Seahawks fan. I would still be kind of terrified for what was going to come out of it. That felt like it wasn't changing. And it felt like whatever solutions they had to try and solve those problems had not been successful. And I wonder if that meant more just in terms of like, we know we have to play these teams four times a year and Pete does not have solutions for how to solve it. And maybe Pete's never going to have a solution for how to solve it and solve those teams. And so, you know, it's, it's so tough because I think when I've talked about Belichick, this is very similar to the conversations we're probably going to have about Pete Carroll, this idea of, well, we know what he's not good at. And that's fair to say that he struggled with this or that Belichick, obviously the offense, like you said, Pete Carroll, um, you know, getting a more modern defense, but there's no guarantees that that the next guy is going to be better. I mean, Dan Quinn has been kind of the hot candidate, the logical one. We were all ready for Dan Quinn to get fired in Atlanta, like a season and a half before it happened. Like we're not that far removed from Dan Quinn being a mess in Atlanta. I think these sort of hires when you're replacing someone who's been there for so long and been successful and consistently so good for so long like it's so hard to nail that second hire and so i'm really intrigued to see if they did this knowing they were going to hire someone very specific or if it was just we need to make a change and we're going to hire the best person we can yeah i think with Pete carroll the floor was always going to be high i never expected them to have a losing season ultimately they didn't you know this year um but I also didn't over the last, you know, recently, and especially this year, didn't expect the defense to be able to stop those offenses. And because of that, I think a change makes sense, even if the change might not work out. I will have said this before. I have abandoned the practice of trying to 
predict who will be good head coaches in the NFL. <laughs> like, I mean, really, it's all over. Like, we can, it's true. you know, I can tell you what I my preferences would be. I mean, I, I would love to see either Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald, who are the two top, I think, um, coordinator options for mm. this job. But I, I'm, I'm not confident saying that they would do a better job than Dan Quinn, who did, has done an excellent job in Dallas, ha- has crucially um, changed a lot of his tendencies in Dallas uh, yes. from a play calling perspective uh, with both the coverages and the fronts in a way that I, I would find intriguing. But it, it's really, really hard to predict uh, head coaching success in this league. I think um, you said something, though, that I think is really important with the defense, though, They've tried a lot of things. Like yes. I think it, you you could say, well, what if Pete Carroll just don't? He's tried. They have gone through <laughs> different defensive structures, philosophies. They have not only invested draft picks, but the Adams trade. I think of the Leonard Williams trade this mm-hmm. season, which doesn't look great now. Obviously, um, they've tried stuff. They signed Draymond Jones to a big contract, so he has been given resources to fix it and hasn't mm-hmm. been able to over the course of you know six years, which is is tricky. Um, uh, let's wrap here. Do you think it's a desirable job? <laughs> it's so funny. We're on the same wavelength. That was the question I was going to ask you. Like, like how desirable is, is this opportunity? I, I think it is because you've seen ownership be very patient. I mean, I don't think Pete was like at risk of losing his job year after year, but very easily, you know, when Russell Wilson and Pete and John Steiner had that power struggle, I think a lot of teams would have said, mm, we're going to stick with the quarterback. We can yeah. find a new coach. We can find a new GM. And that's going to appeal to uh, you know other coaches out there because ownership matters. I know that you know when you talk to people in the league, when you talk to coaches about where they might want to go, you always hear about ownership mattering. I think more than we talk about it maybe on the outside because we don't see the day-to-day stuff where coaches are dealing with owners in terms of how meddlesome are you going to be? You know, how 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 much are you going to interact with me? And of course, I think Carolina is the classic example of like how that can go wrong for a coach and a coaching staff. And I think that's going to be appealing, but this is a tough spot. They don't have a, you know, a young quarterback. I think Geno Smith is still a good quarterback, but he's not exactly, you know, going to be around for the next decade. They have young pieces on both sides of the football, but not a ton of draft capital now. The most of the, the Russell Wilson draft capital that trade is gone, um, and they're in a super tough division. You're you're getting four That's, games against Sean McVay, yeah. who's about to reload with forty million dollars in cap space and all their draft capital, and Kyle Shanahan, who's running the best team in football, best organization in football, I think we can probably say. So there are coaches who are going to say, screw it, I'm, I'm going to overcome that anyway. But I think that's going to be difficult when you look at other teams that have, you know, better quarterbacks or easier paths to contention are there, elsewhere though, around the NFL. Are there many teams with better quarterbacks that are open for coaches? The Chargers are the easy one, right? The Chargers are the obvious one, but the rest of the team is a disaster, I would say. Yeah, that's fair. Um, would you maybe you're more excited about? Hmm, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I'd have to think about. I mean, that. there's a reason well, these coaches open op- jobs are open, yes. right? It's usually because yes. you didn't you didn't have the quarterback. Yes, I, like I, Washington. I, yeah, for example, like they have the second so, overall pick. That's the question I think for for the future head coach is: Would you rather be with an organization like Washington? Maybe. Well, I guess we'll talk about Bears in a second. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe Atlanta is going to make a move at the quarterback position, but those are question marks, right? And and that's where Seattle's a little bit unique um I've i actually been vocal about oh sorry you think of another one no no go ahead. no go ahead i i have been pretty vocal about me believing geno smith is really not the problem in seattle and wasn't this year and <laughs> I agree. um 
hey, Ben Johnson, Geno Smith has shredded the Lions two years mm -hmm. in a row right in front of him. You like what you see, bud? Come on over. Uh, you want you want to you want some really good young wide receivers? You know. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I wonder about, about Pete. I wonder about Pete though. Like like he's now an advisor yes, to the Seahawks. Uh, he's not getting involved maybe. with the coaching hire. Maybe so. If you're in, if you're one of those teams, if you're the Falcons, for example, and you've seen Pete Carroll have consistent success, where you can feel pretty good, you're going to win nine games with Pete Carroll, and nine games is going to win you the NFC South pretty much every year because it's such a terrible division. Wouldn't you at least want to reach out and be like, hey, we should try and go get yeah. Pete Carroll? That just seems like a very logical, exciting coaching candidate if, if he's ready to go coach somewhere else. I mean, but that's what's so wild about this cycle, the fact that he is potentially available. Bill Belichick is potentially available. Jim Harbaugh <laughs> is available. Mike Vrabel is available. It's an insane buffet yes. of candidates, which I guess brings me to my next topic. I'll hit this briefly. Given the coaching candidates who are available, as well as the coordinators I mentioned, I, and I want to throw out another one, and I think this is worth looking at relative to Seattle, Raheem Morris, mm -hmm. that defense, most, I would say 99% of football fans could not name more than three players on that <laughs> defense coming this year, and they outperformed the Seattle defense. Mm -hmm. just, and it wasn't close. Just saying. Just saying. All right. So great candidates. If you're a Bears fan... Given the candidates who are available, how do you feel about the decision to continue rolling with Eberflus? Depends on how bears pilled you are, right? Like I think there's just a died in the wool. Every decision has been right. Even make the Chase Claypool trade was good for us in the long run. I think those people have seen Matt Eberflus and that team grow. And it they have. Like second half of the season this year, the Bears are second in the NFL in points allowed per possession. They have been legitimately a great defense over the second half of the year. And from that perspective, like if you're grading Eberflus on what he's done, like that's good. Like Jalen Johnson turned into a superstar this year. Montez Sweat, a trade a lot of the nerds, myself included, did not like. Looking good so far. Montez Sweat has been awesome for the Bears since arriving there. They still need to add some pieces, but they've made major strides. And so from that perspective, I think you can justify it. But this is the most important offseason for the Bears. And I don't know, 70 years, 80 years, and you're probably changing your quarterback. And it just feels like you're capping, you're limiting what you can do to surround that quarterback with the best possible coaching staff by sticking with a guy who you know is maybe okay, maybe pretty good, but not does not have the ceiling or has not shown the ceiling that some of these other coaches have. I thought you were saying you were using capping in the uh, slang sense. And no, I was briefly no. shocked. I'm, I'm, I'm very old. <laughs> when you said I'm the Bears are capping, I was like, "Oh, Bill, I don't know about <laughs> that." But um, yeah, I, I basically agree with everything you said. I think I think the ideal outcome would be, you know, like D'Amico Ryan's bringing in a Bobby Slowick, but that was sure. sort of a unique situation because they almost came hand in hand, right? And I don't mm -hmm. know what Ibraflus's relationships are like around the league or if there's any like young offensive guy we don't know about who's not yet a play caller, maybe like a really brilliant uh, quarterback's coach or a guy at the mm -hmm. college level or someone that they know. And, and and I think what's concerning is the limiting factor because it is such a crucial hire. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it makes it more likely that they're going to stick with fields or draft a quarterback. Uh, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people kind of trying to read the tea leaves on that. I, I kind of suspect it's not really, I, I think, the reason he kept his job is just what you said, which is the defensive turnaround. 
but I do question the wisdom of it given how important that hire is. However, if they nail the hire, it could be fine because there's nothing wrong with having a defensive head coach and a young quarterback. It's just that Mm -hmm. that intermediate role is so, so important. And yeah, uh, that's, that's going to be everything. Um, Okay. Well, that brings me to Rabel, the final bit of coaching news, which we can, I, we don't really need to dig into this one. I think, um, so for those who missed it, Mike Rabel is out in Tennessee. This is shocking because Mike Rabel is an extremely good coach. I think everybody mm-hmm. agrees. He's one of those coaches where the um, the jocks, the film nerds, and the tape and the numbers people all seem to like. Uh, Dan Campbell is at this like beautiful nexus, you know, because on one hand uh he is you know a former player and he is Mm -hmm. scary (laughs) but on the other hand he goes for two down eight you know he like does you know he's he knows the rules better than most coaches he 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 rules um Mm -hmm. i think though what's tricky here for titans fans and what makes this job dubious in the same way the panthers job is this is surprising but then i'm like wait the firing of john robinson their former gm was really surprising. You remember mid-season last year after the A.J. Brown you know, game, mm-hmm. famously. But then the firing mm-hmm. of Mike Malarkey after they made it to the playoffs was also surprising. And I'm not saying any of these decisions in and of themselves were wrong, but what you have is a pattern of ownership being surprising. And I yeah. think for coaching candidates, that has to be a little bit alarming. Um because all, every single one of those points, I, I Bill, I remember being surprised by all of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, even going back to Mike Malarkey, um, where he was fired after winning a playoff game, yeah. where it was like, okay, you beat the Chiefs, you're good, you don't have to worry about it. And then one week later, he's fired. Um, I think the difference between the, the Panthers, maybe, and, and Tennessee here is that they already have a guy who we know is going to run personnel. Brent Carthen is going to run personnel in Tennessee. For the Panthers, Like it might be you know, an all-you-can-eat option if you're going to hire Jim Harbaugh and say, okay, like if Jim Harbaugh wants personnel control, he can't go to Tennessee. Tennessee's not going to give that to him as an option. Carolina, they're desperate for anybody to take that job. They might offer it to you if you want to be the head coach and GM there. They might say it's like a a two-in-one opportunity. Um, So I think that changes things because if you're a head coach, not only are you a little nervous about ownership, but do we know Rand Carthen is is good at this? Like he deserves more time, no question, but that first offseason where they brought in Andre, Andre Dillard to be their starting left tackle and he lasted six weeks before they had taken out to protect their quarterbacks. Like just the, the, the early signs have not been great. And again, I'm not saying he should be fired. He deserves more time. No question about that. But you're tying, you know, you're, you're a lot as a head coach, maybe to two people who you're not sure you feel great about in terms of ownership and the general manager. And then the roster's just not in good shape. I mean, there's so much to be done there. The offensive line is still a train wreck. Uh, The secondary has holes. There's still good players on both sides of the football. I think you've seen enough with Levis to give him a shot next year. But I think it was that sort of um, muddled aspect of the roster that made made this this team really hard to understand Mm -hmm. last offseason. Because on one hand... You're drafting a quarterback. You're going, you're trying to fix the offensive line with the first pick, which, you know, these you're rebuilding. Then on the other hand, you're not trading anyone, Henry, Tannehill, some of the defensive players. And then you signed DeAndre Hopkins. Like, what was the timeline? Like, I didn't understand it. And I have to, I, I do wonder, again, leading to this, the owner, um, mm-hmm. Amy Strunk Adams is her full name, I think. It's the mm-hmm. Strunk is what keeps her from being Amy Adams. Uh, 
said, you know, we need everyone working hand in hand. That made me think there was probably some conflict in the building from a roster mm -hmm. construction standpoint, both when Robinson was in place and then Carthen in terms of like, are we rebuilding? Mike Rabel strikes me as a person who's not interested in rebuilding, um, but he's a very great. So, so I think to put a bow on it, don't love it, understand it, think he should be a very desirable candidate for a lot of teams. But there's so do you many think, desirable candidates. Do you think they should have been more aggressive about trying to trade him, even if it meant not getting their preferred candidate or what they, the argument whatever they made? Uh, I So Diana Rossini, who used to work at ESPN, had a yeah. uh, post about how they were like, ah, it's too much work. <laughs> I, I'm paraphrasing. It would be too difficult, which I can deeply relate to. I would have thought <laughs> they would have been able to trade him. I'm not – I, I guess – the intricacies of that stuff and the timing of it all definitely um, is above my pay grade. But of all of the coaches, I would say even more than Belichick and Carroll, not, which isn't, doesn't mean I think he's a better coach than them, but he strikes mm -hmm. me as the most likely trade candidate of all of the coaches who are available. I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, it's, well, let's wrap here. If you were the Chargers, and you had your choice between Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, and Jim Harbaugh. Which oh, of the four goodness. would you choose? This is an impossible question an to impossible put on question. me. With. No, no, I um, I, I think, I think I would choose Jim Harbaugh because you're kind of getting someone who has built two programs, built the Niners and built Michigan very successfully. Someone who uh, has experience working with quarterbacks and getting the most out of quarterbacks and the most out of offenses. And as good as those other guys are, they're all defensive coaches. And so yeah. I think maybe you lean towards Harbaugh because he's the offensive coach. I also like, no, I, I actually, I, I agree. I think, um, <laughs> you don't make, sound confident about it. I'm, I'm not confident about it. It's an impossible choice. All these coaches are amazing. Um, mm. I think Harbaugh, one thing that's really appealing is, I, he might bring his defensive coordinator from Michigan with him. And after mm -hmm. watching that coordinator tear apart my Washington Huskies <laughs> like an actual Wolverine uh, going through the trash, uh, I am a big fan of his. I think Harbaugh also um, is a modern thinker when it comes to uh, game management, uh, mm -hmm. play calling on both sides of the football. And I think that's very much needed. So. Crazy, crazy coaching cycle. I'm sure this won't be the last, it definitely won't be. The, all these jobs are still open. So there'll be a lot to talk mm -hmm. about uh, amidst the playoffs. But let's get to the playoffs because, oh my God, we, it's been like 20 <laughs> minutes and we haven't actually gotten to the games and they're great games. And I figure we would just go in chronological order if that's okay mm -hmm. with you. Yes. Starting with the Browns Texans. Um, okay. Last time th these teams did play, CJ Stroud didn't play. So you can kind of throw a lot of it out the window. I think what you can't throw out the window, though, and, and what I want to start off by talking to you about, Bill, is what happened on the other side of the ball, which is Joe Flacco shredded the Texans defense. Now, now to be fair, they didn't have Will Anderson Jr., and I think Grenard got mm -hmm. hurt pretty quickly, or I can't remember exactly. He, was, he wasn't able to host the game. And mm -hmm. Joe Flacco had a lot of time. But what really struck me, I mean, the, what he did is something that he has done to a ton of defenses this year, which is he killed them with play action, particularly mm -hmm. the under center play action, which is something that the Texans defense has struggled with all year. Um, this is a number that I, I want to read this to you because it kind of blew my mind. So the Texans mm -hmm. are, have allowed the most yards per play versus play action in the NFL. It's 10.1, which is not great. Guess what the Browns' yards per play is on the other <laughs> side of the ball. 
who are the best? I'm, I'm going to guess 10.1. 1.9 yards per Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was confused. Brown's oh, defense. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so, so sorry. Yeah, yes. Yeah, sorry. The, the Browns defense is very, very, very good against it. The Texas defense has been very, very, very bad against it. Uh, unfortunately, not they are the defense that is playing Joe Flacco, not the Cleveland. <laughs> uh, is there anything you think that the Texans defense can do differently in this game? Is there any reason to you th- that you think the result on that side of the football might be different? I do. And I think what comes to mind for me is Amari Cooper was uncoverable yeah. for most of that game. You also get like 265 yeah. yards New in that game. Cooper. Game. They yeah. they try and if and that if you remember in that game, that was the game where Dustin Hopkins went down injured, That's and right. so the Browns just had to go for it every fourth down, and every fourth down they're just like we're just gonna throw a, a speed out to Amari Cooper. He's gonna be open. Joe Flacco's gonna hit like a window this big on the sideline. We're not worried about it, and it worked every single time. And I think they were kind of caught between: do we play with inside? Are we you know are, are we calling defenses that are middle of the field close so we can play with? outside leverage and take away those speed outs or do we keep you know two deep safeties keep middle of the field open and then run the risk of amari cooper doing the amari cooper stuff over the middle of the field to us and the only way you solve that two ways you solve it and the texans could do both in this game theoretically one is pass pressure and will anderson still dealing with a high ankle sprain but he had two sacks against andre dillard the aforementioned against tennessee still had some pressures against indy in week 18 and the other one is i think the big concern for this Browns offense that even with Joe Flacco playing great, dude's still throwing lots of interceptions. Yes. <laughs> He's still throwing two picks a game. And I think if you're the Texans, and we'll talk about their side of the ball in a second, if you can win the turnover battle and get those two interceptions from Joe Flacco, which he seems to hand out like candy, and turn those short fields into points, that flips the the nature of this game in some ways. Yeah. I, I think on that side of the ball, you're you do have to bet a little bit on variance um i would also you talked a little bit about the structure of coverage i would also aggressively play the boots in this one and and they'll kill you and you know and anderson jr is very good at this by the way because he's he's a really good run defender um but he's very good at uh, chasing down quarterbacks uh they'll punish you for it they will run the ball and i think you just take that and you yep. know, the Texas no defense is actually very good against the run, too, by the mm-hmm. way. So any down where they can get Cleveland to run the ball uh, instead of executing play action or um, targeting Cooper is probably a win for them on mm-hmm. that side of the football. Um, I think what's challenging is um, David Njoku as also, I'm not sure, a problem with many answers. <laughs> Uh, uh, for Houston, uh, and he has been unbelievable. I think him and Flacco. I mean, he he is it's really incredible. on a tear right now. Yeah, just incredible. The yards after the catch, his ability to get open on scramble drills, all of it. He's amazing. Yeah, it just feels like Joe Flacco and David and Joku have been playing secretly together for a <laughs> decade, and we didn't realize it until Joe Flacco just showed up on the field. Um, I think it feels like we're sort of like speed running the meta of football over the last five years. Like, you know, just run the boot directly at the quarterback or run, run your pass rush directly at the quarterback. Don't honor the run, just play the boot. And I think it's probably smart. Like, I think that's the logical way to do it. If you, if the Browns are going to run over you, like you can deal with that. You can maybe get a stop, maybe get a sack, maybe get a penalty, get them in second, third and long, and then hope that your pass rush gets home and you can, you know, drop seven in the coverage and have 
your two best pass rushers in Greenard um, and Will Anderson actually on the field together. Yeah. The, the Browns, Against backup yeah. tackles, by the way. Backup tackles. So I think that's the other thing is like Kansas Fancy has done such a good job of protecting this offensive yep. line, which is why the run game is so bad, to be clear. Um, and the play action game is so well designed. It changes week to week. I mean, I talked about the under center boot stuff, but there, there are weeks where they come out and it's in the gun with pulling action. And uh, it's, uh, you know, we talk about Joe Flacco's sort of renaissance, but he is being put in great positions. And he's also been making throws on the run in a way that is, makes no sense. Incredible. Incredible. Unbelievable. Um, so I don't doubt, like, you know, I think, like I said, I think if they do the things we're talking about, they they will run the ball, but I think you take your chances there if you're Houston. Um, mm. The other side of the ball is really interesting to me because, um, so Stroud didn't get to play, the, you know, this, yes. this team. He is amazing. <laughs> He's good. However, uh, there, I've talked about this a little bit. I talked about it last week with the Colts in a way where I said, I don't know about these Colts against CJ Stroud. So he has a very dramatic disparity in his performance against man and zone. He has been mm -hmm. the best quarterback in football at slicing up zone coverage, which really? makes sense. I think for a number of reasons, it's the Bobby Slowick Shanahan offense yep. against man coverage, 27th in QBR 38.8. Uh, so, and, and that's, by the way, that's not a CJ Stroud stat. That's a Texans offense yes, stat. And it's a stat sure. that I think has, is exacerbated by the loss of tank Dell, because you really now mm -hmm. only have one wide receiver who really puts the fear of God in you and Nico Collins, And he is fantastic. Yes. So against the Colts didn't matter. The Cleveland Browns, arguably the best man coverage unit when they play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're the Texans, does that worry you? Do you think Jim Schwartz will lean into that? And, and, and this is really the healthiest they've been in a while. Their cornerbacks are back. Okoronkwo might even be back. The linebackers are healthy. Uh, I feel like that there's, from a matchup perspective, there's a lot that favors them. There's one guy, though, Mina, you did not mention in the conversation about the Browns being the healthiest they have been. And that is the guy, I think, to me, who matters the most in this game, and that is Miles Garrett. Because over the last seven games, Browns fans have been furious at me because I didn't put him on my all-pro team. Miles Garrett has one sack. And yes, we can we can do the thing where sacks are not the only thing that matter for edge rushers. Yes, he's been held. Yes, the Browns, you know, teams are getting the ball out quicker. All that stuff is true. But he has one sack in his last seven games. That is not the Miles Garrett we know and love. And over that time period, Mina, the Browns defense has not been as good. So before the injury, Week one to week 12, the Browns, when, if you take out the drives that were not ending in interceptions or fumbles, basically drives that are not ending in turnovers, the Browns were still the best defense in football. So comparing them on drives that ended in anything but turnovers to everyone else. Since the Garrett injury, they are 14th by the same metric. They are more and more relying on turnovers to keep them afloat. Mm. You think about the Jets game, for example. Mm. Like Trevor Simeon was moving the ball on them in that game, unless. Trevor Simeon turned the ball over. And the problem for that, for the Browns, is guess who's the best offense in football at not turning the ball over this season? That is CJ Stroud wow. and the Houston Texans. And so I, I think your point is really valid based on the Browns that we've seen over the course of the broader season. But yeah. if they don't have the Miles Garrett, who is a 
defensive player of the year, does that change their ability to hold up a man coverage? Can they get as much pressure with man coverage? Do they have to blitz more to supplement what, mm. what Miles Garrett would normally offer them? And then if they do that and they do play man behind, well, it might work. Nico yeah. Collins might run away from you for a long touchdown. Like I think that's the thing that concerns me is just, is the Browns defense the one that we all fell in love with during the first half of the year? And I think uh, ultimately this is going to just come down to who's healthy and how healthy are they? <laughs> Miles Garrett being important, but also, you know, I, I talked about Ward being back in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see if Okoronkwo. Grant Delpit's coming back, I think. Grant Delpit is coming back. That's really, he was playing fantastic football for yes. them. So yeah, all these play, especially again, if they do play a lot of man, and I kind of think that they will, it, yes. you know, it does, is Ward healthy enough to shut down Nico Collins if he's given that assignment? You know, I, I, those are mm. the questions because of how good the quarterback is. Um, I think those are the questions that could determine whether they, ha they look as dominant to your point as they've been mm -hmm. underrated factor is the Okoronko revenge game though. I just, as I said, his name, it just popped into my mind. Um, I, I am leaning Cleveland in this one, mm -hmm. largely not because of what we just talked about, but because I do think on the, on the other side of the ball, I really like what this Texans defense is building, but I fear that they're uniquely vulnerable to um, some of the things that Cleveland does well. Deep pass also is something that I think, you know, the, uh, Joe Flacco and Amara, you talked about them. Houston has struggled with that all year long. I think their best chances, and as what we talked about at the beginning, is, is turning Flacco over, which happens a lot. <laughs> it does, but the Browns have been so good at overcoming it that we haven't noticed. So if the Browns force a couple turnovers, I think it's no problem they win this game. But if the Texans do continue to protect the football and we get the same Flacco we've seen all year, both good and bad, that leads me to lean towards the Texans. So we don't really... We don't disagree very often on games, so I feel like this is a good this, place to start this conversation. Uh, this one is the hardest of the week, I think. No well, question. Yeah, I think probably the, the, I haven't looked at the lines. I know that um, Cleveland is favored, but I think it's pretty slight. I think it's two and a half is the yeah. line and for Browns Texans. Houston. So um, mm. that feels fair. I might be too flacco pilled right now. Any? I can anyone blame you? Can like, who who Joe like Joe Flacco? Like I would say more than any other quarterback this year, I have been so excited. Monday morning after I've worked to like four in the morning to get up and watch Joe Flacco all 22. It is so sick it's, to see some of the throws Joe Flacco is making. The throw to Amari, I can't remember which game. Maybe it was the Texans. There was one throw he made to Amari that I would say is one of the five best throws of the entire season. I I think. Yeah, it's, it was the Bears game, right? The one where, where Amari caught right, a yeah, yeah. Bears and like ran through them for a touchdown. Incredible. Incredible. Like like if if it happened in Madden, you would be like, oh, Madden's rigged. This is terrible. Um, okay, let's do Dolphins Chiefs next. Uh, this is the That's game fun. on Peacock, right? This is a fun game. I believe so. Uh, not fun, fun. It, it would not, be fun if everyone was yeah. healthy. I was going to say it would be fun if it wasn't negative whatever degrees. I can't imagine. Well, uh, you know, I guess we could start there. I hate doing weather analysis, but <laughs> our stats and info folks inform us that the Dolphins have lost 10 straight games I thought when I saw 10 straight games, I thought it was going to be like sub 10 degrees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like extreme weather. No, it's just sub 40. They've lost 10 straight uh -huh. games in sub 40. That's this is from you, our stats and info group. You know, uh, you, you, I, I, as someone who moved from the East Coast to LA, you do not get to play this card. Oh my God. I have the heat on in my house right now. It's probably <laughs> like in the low 60s. I am not, I'm, I, I am not shaming the Dolphins. I am merely delivering the facts that our stats and info group <laughs> sent to us. Uh, does that worry you for if you're a Dolphins fan? 
it 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 would if it were not for the fact that I'm worried about this other thing that's happening to the Dolphins where they don't have any players wow. left. Wow. The- Sorry. Nick Saban is retiring. What is going on in what? America right now? All of my Are, heroes. Is there okay? Is there a secret football league that's starting somewhere else, and they're hiring like all the coaches who are notable? Maybe they're wild. all like this is okay. Aaron Rodgers. Forget the conspiracy theories <laughs> about whatever. I don't even want to get into yes. it. This is the conspiracy theory I want you to unpack. Did they get mm. together and agree? to switch jobs is bill maybe bill <laughs> belichick is going to alabama like no okay pete's going to alabama bill's going to seattle what okay. on earth dude are, this are is you, wild okay okay if if the coaches came together and were like we are going to have um we're going to pick our jobs out of a hat and you get to see Pete Carroll's reaction when he finds out he's about to coach the Tennessee Titans next year. Like, wouldn't that be the most incredible, like, like, like the decision, but random and for coaches, it would be incredible. No, 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 no. Okay. We, the, we, they need to do it like a white elephant <laughs> where you can give it back or you can trade. Yes. Uh, yeah, Pete, Pete Carroll was the coach of the Titans for 30 seconds before he took the Alabama job instead. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, oh my friend. <laughs> this is nuts. Wow. I'm sorry. You were talking about the Dolphins and the Chiefs, and I just... Uh, do, do, should we talk about Nick Saban? Do you have Nick Saban thoughts? No, I mean, that I don't have... I mean, uh, not really. I don't do, have Nick do you, thoughts. Do, do you want to see... Like, like I, I guess... I've always sort of looked at Nick Saban and been like, okay, I know he was in the NFL. It did not go great. I would kind of like to see him coach one more time in the NFL just to see if he's really good. Um, if he's not, you know, without the recruiting advantage, does it, does it interest you? No, it's, it sounds like he's really retiring. I'm just looking at the text I'm getting. Like he's, <laughs> he's tired. He's, he's, yeah. We're all tired. It's, it's, it's January. <laughs> well, that's the thing. All these guys are old. I mean, not able, but um, yeah. I mean, it it's it does sort of feel like if you're the Patriots and you're moving on from Belichick, man, this is the day to do it. Get that out there while you have three other like famous coaches all getting fired or, or, or leaving on the exact same day. Maybe like, the news will break while we're talking. I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> all right. Dolphins cheese. Sorry. You were talking about the Dolphins yeah. and cold weather. I thought I said something really stupid. The look you gave me was like, like, did I, did I, did I say something <laughs> controversial? Or I was saying the Dolphins, the weather would matter if it were not for the fact that all of their players are injured. Yeah, um, that I think is the it, it's it's a bummer. And like, I would love to see this game on a neutral field in mild weather as opposed to mm. frigid weather. Like, I think it does matter, but I don't think it makes a difference in re- in relation to having your top three edge rushers, your second best cornerback, your top inside linebacker, maybe your second best wide receiver and your starting running back all injured. I think um, on that side of the ball, more, which is where the bulk of the injuries are. And, and, and then they're cluster injuries. I think that's the thing. You lose right. you know, one edge rusher, then you use your second edge rusher, then you use your third edge rusher. You're bringing in Justin Houston and, and Bruce <laughs> Irvin. It's like a suicide squad right now of edge rushers. I, I think what is um, an interesting decision for Vic Fangio is mm-hmm. whether or not to bring pressure. He did against Josh mm-hmm. Allen. They he went zero blitz a few times because of the injuries, you know. And mm-hmm. with mix, he had some success doing so. Actually, I think one of the Allen turnovers came off of it, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't 
however, think that is the right approach against Patrick Mahomes, especially no. because this Chiefs, as as much maligned as this Chiefs offense is, it's still a very deadly and prolific screen game. Most screens mm-hmm. in the NFL, second in yards per attempt, only behind San Francisco. Um, and, you know, they're not explosive, but he can still beat the blitz. Uh, whereas yeah. I can envision a world, Bill, where actually if he channeled Luana Rumo in the AFC Championship a few years ago and went more uh, drop eight, okay. I, I could actually mm-hmm. see that giving this version of the Chiefs offense some problems. Absolutely. I think that's a really accurate point. And if you're um, the Dolphins, do you just say, hey, we're putting Jalen Ramsey on? I was going to say Travis Kelsey, but maybe Rashi Rice as opposed to Travis Kelsey and just say, yeah. all your other dudes aren't getting open. Like, yes, Eli Apple is now our second best corner or our third best cornerback. And that's kind of lame, but like Sky, not Sky Moore, because Sky Moore is hurt, but like Marquez Valdez Scantling's not getting open against Eli Apple. Like, you know, I, I think you could make that case. And even though they are down their top three edge rushers, they still have Zach Sealer, they still have Christian Wilkins, they still have guys who yeah. are going to, you know, drop three, or drop eight or, you know, run TE games to try and get something open that way as opposed to just winning one-on-one with, you know, pure rush. That might work. And and the other thing is Mahomes historically has been like the blitz killer of all blitz killers in the NFL. Like blitzing Mahomes has been a recipe for failure unless you're Todd Bowles in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs are down to four backup linemen. So, I I agree with you. Like I think if you're the Dolphins, normally like blitzing, if you're an underdog, is usually a better strategy because you're creating more variance, right? Like you're creating more big plays, but also maybe better chances of a sack or an interception or a fumble. And I would normally say if you're the underdog, blitz more, try to do something crazy like that. But I agree with you. I, I think if you're the Dolphins, you want to absorb as much as possible. You want to try and you know get them, get a holding penalty from those those Chiefs tackles, get a false start, get them in third and long, and then. Maybe you can get that pass rush to get home. Yeah, it's like um, when I play ping pong against my brother. My brother, it, it, he can out hit me. He can slam it. He can do use more spin, but I can just always hit it back, and eventually he f's up. <laughs> That's why they call you a wall in the Kimes family. <laughs> uh, well, I think Vanjie needs to take a similar approach. Just hope that somebody on the Chiefs' offense. S up, which, uh, by the way, that happens a lot. So, uh, you know, it could, it could work in his favor. Yes. Um, yes. On the other side, I, do you think that there could be a bounce back performance for this Miami offense? They're very up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they tend to follow their their stinkers with good, good games. Yeah, you know, um, the last game I think would qualify as a, as a, as a mm-hmm. stinker for them, by the, certainly by their standards. How do you feel mm-hmm. that they match up with a Chiefs offense that is, is significantly healthier? Yeah, I think that the hard part is, you know, are we getting Jalen Waddle? Are we getting Raheem Mostert? And to what what percentage of those guys are we getting if they're on the field? Because I love Devin A. Chain. I mean, obviously, who doesn't love Devin A. Chain? Like, he's incredible to watch. But having the ability to go to Raheem Mostert as your second option, as opposed to Jeff Wilson, is a big advantage for the Dolphins. He's a better player, a more well-rounded player, a better receiver. And I think that does play up for them. And with Jalen Waddle, like, if Jalen Waddle does not play in this game, the Chiefs might just say, we're putting Legereus Seed on Tyreek Hill, and that's going to be enough. You're not going to be able to find a second guy in this offense at receiver. And the Chiefs do have a very good pass rush. They can rush for and get home with Chris Jones and George Karloftis. And I think that's a recipe for failure for, for the Dolphins. So depends on those guys. And I think 
you have to do every trick you possibly can to get Tyreek Hill um, prevented from getting him jammed at the line of scrimmage. Use obviously the Dolphins are going to use motion, like like no point in even pretending they're not going to. But like every trick you can to get space for Tyreek Hill, and then hope that he makes someone miss after the catch, because it feels like that is their really only path to doing things at this point, and it doesn't feel like they have a plan B anymore. Yeah, the, Tyreek Hill needs to have the game of his life i think um can't have the kind of drops you've seen occasionally over the last few weeks mm-hmm. um i do think even without Mostert, they can still get them on the ground mm-hmm. provided that they don't fall behind obviously this is a chiefs defense that finished the year fifth in dvoa versus the pass 27th versus the run mm-hmm. and they've been vulnerable to some of the runs that miami does really well i was just sorting it um the second worst yards per carry versus zone runs, the third worst versus runs with jet motion, the third worst mm-hmm. versus runs outside and off tackle. So you can stretch mm-hmm. them out horizontally. But again, to your point, um, with only Watt, with, with Hill in the field and no Waddle, it becomes a lot easier to defend that if you're Kansas City when you're not compromised structurally the way you are when those two guys are on the field. So. You know, I'll say this, like we talk so much about Tua and whatever. Mike McDaniel, like show me something. You know, like this yeah, is this is no this question. is this is you, man. You're the run dude. Like yes. bring it this week because there there is there is a vulnerability there to be exploited. Right. Like it feels like if they win this game, it's Tyreek goes for like one long touchdown pass and has, you know, five third downs he converts, and then they run for a bunch of yards. And for the Chiefs, they're actually pretty good at not giving up big runs they're just very inefficient when it comes to success rate like they have one of the lowest rush success rates of anybody in football and so i think that's your formula is we know our defense is banged up we know we don't have a pass rush rotation the way we normally do it's the oldest school thing in the book i can't believe i'm coming on the mina kime show featuring lenny to say run the damn ball and control the clock but that's where we are with the dolphins like they are not the explosive team they were earlier this season well speaking of running the damn ball Pittsburgh Steelers face off <laughs> the Buffalo Bills. And I'll just start here. I think that's their only real chance in this thing. Uh, Mason Rufoff, Rudolph is the quarterback. TJ Watt is out. Um, to me, just offensively, this is a Steelers offense that uh, has been good running the football. And that's, mm-hmm. they kind of, I think, landed on an offensive identity in the back half of the season that was I mean, Rudolph was better than the quarterbacks who preceded him, no doubt. But it was really like, we're going to come out, we're going to put multiple tight ends on the field, and we're going to pound the rock. And, and mm-hmm. by the way, they've been really good throwing with multiple tight ends on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the second half of the season, when they call 13, when they run 13 personnel, I mean, three tight ends, uh, second best EPA per play in football and an extremely high play action pass rate, which is something mm-hmm. the Bills need to be careful for. I feel like that's the formula for them, right? Is just to beat Buffalo on the ground because as I think good as this Buffalo Bills B defense has been and that they've been to me the real story of the second half of the season for this team. Mm-hmm. Um I think that you know they they are down I will I think uh Dodson might play but mm-hmm. obviously um they're a little bit smaller at the linebacker position and I feel like Pittsburgh could potentially bully them there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they've moved from I think the Steelers have moved from more of a zone-based running offense to more of a power offense, to, to more more gap scheme runs. And that makes sense. I think Najee Harris has been a much better back in the context of that yeah. offense. And um, that 
is a logical place for the Steelers to go. I mean, you're not asking a ton of Mason Rudolph in this game. What you're asking is don't turn the ball over classic Steelers thing. And you're asking basically hit one big play where one of our receivers can run away from the coverage. And he's done that. Like we saw last week, it was Deontay Johnson the week before it was George Pickens. Um, the bills are as usual banged up in the secondary where Sewell Douglas went down. Um, uh, in, in the game last week, the safeties are 100%. I mean, this is a, a team where normally Sean McDermott's defenses are very good at avoiding giving up explosive plays. I don't know if that's the case given the actual personnel they have anymore. So, like, you know, I, I, I would not be shocked if the Steelers had more success on offense in this game than people are giving them credit for coming in. Defensively, that's the problem. Yeah. If TJ Watt was playing, I would feel a lot better. <laughs> uh, the on and off numbers, they're not great. Uh, no, it's bad. Over it's the like, last it, few it, years. Yeah. I think he's, I think they would be the number one defense in football if TJ Watt was on the field based on his, the QBR with him on the field. And they are the worst defense in football over the last few years with TJ Watt off the field. So one in 10 historically without TJ Watt. Uh, if you're Buffalo. I, and we know, I don't, it doesn't need to be said. They need to turn Josh Allen over. <laughs> that, that, that is the, the formula. Oh. That's what I was going to bring to the show. <laughs> Get Josh Allen to give the football. Um, the problem with that is there's no real, like, um, incentive or motivation, right? Like, I would like there's still- nothing- Pushing him to get rid of the football. Yeah, exactly. There's no patterns to when Josh does it. It's <laughs> the pattern is that, you know, he gets the zoomies. Can you give him the zoomies? <laughs> Uh, if you're Joe Brady and you're Buffalo, I, I feel like you should have time because of the absence mm-hmm. of TJ Watt. I think your offensive line should hold up pretty good. I think um, this Steelers defense is really vulnerable at linebacker in the middle of the field. That's something yeah. that with Joe Brady, they've done a good job of attacking. I could see this being a big uh, James Cook, Dalton, Kincaid game. Yeah, Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense for the Bills to come out and use 12 personnel. And like Kincaid yeah. is like saying 12 is unfair because he's not really like a a normal tight end like he's like it's like it's like 11 and a half um in terms of the personnel but like having Kincaid having Knox forcing them to match with their base defense and then just taking advantage the Steelers are down to I mean third and fourth string linebackers they've had so many injuries there over the course of the season that's just the, the logical place to attack stretch them let Josh let Josh Allen get behind and like on top of that, Josh Allen is going to have opportunities to run with the football, both as an undesigned runs and as a scrambler. This is a, a Steelers defense that, um, you know, has given up some, some some running opportunities for quarterbacks. To be fair, they played Lamar twice a year, so that might be influencing the numbers a bit. But if you're the Steelers, are you shadowing Stephon Diggs with Joey Porter Jr.? You know, I I, I, I think... This is a question that I think is actually a lot more complicated because of the mm-hmm. lack of usage of Stefan Diggs, frankly. Mm-hmm. And that's yes. the right. It's like, oh, that's geez. what that's why I asked you before you yeah. asked me. No, no, no. Uh, it was a question I asked last week with Jalen Ramsey. And at mm-hmm. times they, they didn't actually, which I think was uh, pretty telling of how they viewed Diggs and his role in this offense right now and, mm-hmm. and what his lack of production. Um, I think like it. You probably take a similar approach if you're Pittsburgh, frankly. Um, I just don't think that's how you're going to – maybe it is how they could kill it. I could be wrong. Of course, it's Stephon Diggs. He could still have an incredible game at any moment. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like we've now seen a pretty strong pattern over the last few weeks of of him not doing so. Um, I think it, it'll be interesting to, for me to see whether they send pressure. Um mm-hmm. 
that can be a formula feels like they for should. failure. Yeah, but it, it feels like they might have to without TJ Watt. Uh, by the way, your point about how Dalton Kincaid is, it's like 11 and a half personnel. I feel like for the Steelers with Darnell Washington, it's like 12 and a half personnel. <laughs> it's like, because he's basically an offensive lineman out there Two very, very different rookie tight ends. Yes. My mom just texted me. Sorry, I have to read this. You looked emotional Please. speaking about Pete on TV today. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, let's wrap here. You know, I, I think this could actually be a little bit. I don't think it's a blowout because of what we were talking about, but I do think the Bills win pretty handily. So oh, we skipped the Chiefs. It, it, I got the Chiefs against Dolphins, by the way. Yeah, I have, to, I, have to, I have Chiefs as well. I think we, we, you know, we think we're on the same wavelength there. I. Like so many things have to go right for the Steelers to win this game. Like Mason Rudolph can't turn back into every other Mason Rudolph we've seen before the last three He was weeks. bad last oh, week, by the way. He's not why they won that game. So I know, I know, but like he's been better than I think we expected yeah. over the course of his time as a you know as a starter. Um and did Pete Carroll's have to get a big play. <laughs> you think that was it? You think they're like Rudolph? I really think um, you can't overestimate how much owners don't like being embarrassed. I'll just say that. That is very astute of you to say. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I, I like you know, just so many things have to go right, and they have to go in the order that I think you need them to have to happen. And even then, like even if the Steelers get up ten points in the, the second half, the way the Dolphins did last week, we saw like Josh can just turn it on, and that could be that. So I, I find it really hard to believe the Steelers are going to pull the upset here. I do too. All right, let's come back well, and talk I, about. I'm a Steelers it. hater, as you know. You are so. a Steelers hater. I yeah. Well, Bill and I, if you listen to the show, you remember we did some predictions. You were wrong about things. I was wrong about things. We don't have to get into it. Let's. We uh, can agree Dominique was more wrong than either of us, though. I can't remember what his takes were, but I wish, man. Right before we did that pause pod, I I think one of the takes I ended up not doing was like I think the Ravens are gonna like obliterate the NFL. You remember that? I was like Lamar's gonna be MVP. I. Bill, I said mm-hmm. Lamar was going to be the MVP, and then I backed off of it for some reason. I think I thought it wasn't hot enough for my takes, hottest take. Takes take, takes don't count if they're not on recorded media. There, I recorded them in text DMs to you. I'm going to find them. Oh, I, I, you know, I would look for it, but I, I have an Android. I don't have text oh, history God. the way that. All right. We got three more games to get through. Let's get, let's take a break. Come back. Why should you bet with Caesars Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just a nap, it's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states were prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or in Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.com. Org. West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-711. 
317 New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Okay, we are back. Uh, neither of us believe that the Steelers will upset the Bills. A little nervous if I'm a Cowboys fan, however, uh, about the Green Bay Packers. Uh, yeah, seven, that, last I saw they were seven and a half favorites, which that made me nervous. Mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. you know, let's start with where the Cowboys offense, because I do think I do think the Cowboys are deservedly favorites, Largely because they're at home. I also think this offense matches up very well with Green Bay. Yes, that was what I was going to say. I'm going to leave it to you. I feel like you are the documenter this year of the Cowboys. Mino, what does Dak Prescott like to do the most? He loves to throw over the middle of the field. (laughs) And where are the Packers? particularly brutal on defense. Oh, Bill, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, in the second half of the season, and I split it to the second half because I was like, maybe it's not as bad. <laughs> on passes between the numbers, the Packers are allowing 0.5 EPA per play. That is the worst in the NFL. It's actually worse in the second half of the season than the first half, but they are the worst oh, over oh. the course of the entire season as well. Yes, 32nd in QBR as well. So just in case you like some kind of EPA glitch, nope. They are terrible <laughs> defending passes over the middle of the field. And Dak loves to loves. throw seam routes over the middle of the field. Loves CD Lamb in the slot. Loves anything you can give Dak between the numbers he wants to throw. And so, like, you know, I'll just start there. Like, is that disqualifying for the Packers in this game? Like, are they just hopeless because they are so bad at stopping the thing that's kind of at the core of what the Cowboys do on offense? Can I do one more uh, stat on this? Please. That the pack- Okay, so what is basically automatic with CeeDee Lamb? And there's a lot of uh, things that are automatic. Option routes or slants? Option or route slants. Slants are, I, I am convinced a, a slant to CeeDee Lamb has never failed. I know it has. <laughs> I've seen that, I, I, but I'm just, it's never not worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Packers versus slants. I was sorting this on SIS out of curiosity. Highest passer rating in the NFL, 143. 9.2 yards per attempt. 9.2. 0.77 EPA per play, and they're facing the slant god. Uh, it's not great, Bill. It's not great. I think their best chance is the pass rush. I'll just say that. That's pass rush, and uh, Mike McCarthy r- stubbornly running the ball maybe would be the other thing that comes to mind. That's their best chance on that side of the Cowboys football. are not good at running the football. But, no, don't do it. But, throw a slant but, every time. But, <laughs> throw a slant. Since the bye... They have thrown the ball more. They've changed their offense. Like, I mean, you said this all summer, like this idea that Mike McCarthy was going to take over and run the ball a ton was not supported by the actual decisions and things the Cowboys had done during the offseason. And until the Lions especially game. after the bye, until the Lions game, we don't have to talk about the Lions game. That so was bad. just an aberration. So um, you know, like, like in general, they've been one of the highest uh, they had one of the highest pass rates in neutral situations on early downs in football. I think they're fifth in the NFL, according to Ben Baldwin's site, since their week seven bye. So I don't think they're going to fall into that trap, but I, I'm, I'm, it's Mike McCarthy. I've had, I've had my run-ins with Mike McCarthy in the postseason before. I'm not going to let anything convince me otherwise. So I, from that perspective, I'm nervous, yes. But I just think if you were going to drop a defense that – that struggle that things the Cowboys would want a defense to struggle at, you would draw up the Packers defense. 
Um, the pass rush did look really good in, against yep. Justin Fields. Very different quarterback from Dallas Prescott. Holds on to yes. the football. Very different. Everything. The offense is yes. different. Um, but they do have good players. So I, I just think that's their yeah, that's their only real chance on that side. Uh, on the other side, this is why this is a game because mm-hmm. um, as the Cowboys' offense defense is much better, of course, than Green Bay. But the Packers' D offense slaps. <laughs> I love this offense, Bill. We haven't really had a chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're good at so many different things. They're, I, I've seen Jordan Love problem solve different coverages, mm-hmm. different pressures. Uh, I, I, I think that as good as the Dallas pass rush is, they've got a really good chance of keeping pace with them on the other side of the ball if he plays the way he's played over the last couple of weeks. Right. I think it depends on how far you're willing to go back because before the last couple of weeks, you need a couple of bad games and a couple of games where you like, turn the ball over a bunch. Mm-hmm. For sure. No question. No question. Absolutely. You are 100%. Oh, sorry, podcast audience. I did a like kind of a roller coaster that was mostly going up. Yeah, but going down <laughs> occasionally. And that is the concern here, I think, is that you can turn him over still. Yes, yeah. the Giants game. Very, very confusing game for me as someone who was like, pick the Packers, make the playoffs for the year, skeptical of the Giants, Giants stink, Packers are good. I'm like all ready for like the coronation game and they laid an egg. And I think that was that was something I was not yeah. expecting. And that was not that long ago. Nope. Um, that was only like one or two Tommy Cutlets news cycles ago. Um, you know, I, I think Jordan Love is someone who we see him improving week after week. And we see him, you know, like you said, I think problem solving is a really good way to put it in terms of like, I think he's much more confident now in terms of, of getting to the back of his drop and knowing where he wants to go with the football and trusting that, you know, what he's seeing is actually what's going to play out in practice. And that is something that only comes with time, only comes with practice. And you're seeing him make anticipation throws now that I don't think he made earlier this season. Maybe he made them occasionally earlier this season, but doesn't make them, didn't make them as often as he does now. And that's how you're going to beat the Packers because they have not just a fearsome pass rush, but the quickest pass rush in all of football. If you have a quarterback who, can read stuff quickly, get the ball out quickly, which he can, maybe make some space for himself, which he can, and then put the ball in a place where the Cowboys are not able to cover so quickly. I think that's how you hit big plays on this defense. I agree. I think um, how the Cowboys approach pressure, knowing that, will be really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that the Green Bay is going to use a lot of misdirection, RPOs, the ball's going to be coming out hot. One thing I think, I, I talked about this a little bit on NFL Live yesterday, that I would consider doing if I'm Dan Quinn is moving Micah Parsons inside some lining up there. They run a lot of stunts as well. For sure. The, the Packers weak link on their offensive line is their center. Uh, Jordan mm-hmm. Love has also been worse flushed out of the pocket. He's really good against pressure and he steps up and makes plays. Mm-hmm. But if you can get him outside on the run, he has struggled a little bit. 31st in QBR on the run. So mm-hmm. throwing on the run. So I think that it'll be very interesting to see how Parsons is deployed um, and how many screenshots we get of him being held by multiple offensive linemen as the game goes on. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it like, like there's no wrong answer with Micah Parsons. Like, no. no matter where you put him, he's going, unless you're using him as a linebacker, which do not do that in this game, Packer, or Cowboys. As long as he's rushing the passer, you're, you're generally doing something good. And so I think it's also about the other guys next to Parsons, right? Like, I think yes. Parsons is going to make his plays, but we've seen when Demarcus Lawrence doesn't have a great game, when um, uh, Osio Diggy do it doesn't have a great game. Like, I think there's, you know, it, it can't all be Parsons. And the Packers do have a good offensive line. They do 
always rate out well by our our pass blocking metrics at ESPN. So if they can hold up for two and a half seconds, I do think Jordan Love is going to have opportunities to find players. This is a fun game. I, I, I lean it Cowboys because it's at home um, and because of the matchup on their offense versus that defense. But I'm excited. I Love and Stroud, man. Just so fun to watch right now. House money, those guys. If Let me ask you a question. That's impossible to answer now about coaching. If the Cowboys lose this game, is that it for Mike McCarthy in Dallas? Especially with like, 18 Hall of Fame coaches out there yeah. presumably waiting to be hired. I got to think it's up in the air. At the very least, right? Like if yeah. you're if you're going to lose Dan option. Quinn to the Seahawks? Because of the options out there, definitely. I don't know if Dan Quinn gets promoted above him though. I'm not sure. Mm. But yeah, I think and it's it, it it's it is a very desirable job. It's a great team. I have to think that's on the table. I I'll say this, it probably will come down to the way he loses if he loses <laughs> if it's like embarrassing. I could see that he's done a great job this season. I, you know, but yes, he's been right. good. Let's let if they line up Tony Pollard at center and run a trick play, it's, it's going to be done for him. Rams Lions, who is it actually a revenge game for? It's Jared Goff. It's a Jared. It's an we joke about revenge games. You and I love yeah. pointing out esoteric players mm-hmm. and pretending they're revenge games, and we're we're joking. It is an actual revenge game. For Jared Goff. No question. Of course it's a revenge game for Jared Goff. I mean, you you were paying close attention to the Rams. Like, basically dumped for John Wolford, sent away in a trade package where they had to attach extra draft picks just to get rid of him. Like, for years, that Rams team, I mean, I remember I wrote about this. I wrote about, I wrote about the possibility of a team, just theoretically, maybe going out and uh, getting rid of a quarterback and using the money they save by having a series of quarterbacks and rookie deals to spend money on, elsewhere on the roster. And the Rams were furious about it. I mean, Kevin Dimoff went on on stage at Sloan and was like, Bill Barnwell is always trying to get us to trade Jared Goff. And then, of course, they trade Jared Goff and immediately win the Super Bowl. But like this has been something where the Rams were so all in on Jared Goff. And I'm sure Jared Goff felt that in return until the moment Sean McVay decided, I'm good. I'd rather play John Wolford in a playoff game than Jared Goff. And that had to hurt. That had to feel brutal. You're sent to basically football Siberia to go play the Lions. He really, he really was Detroit. like Jon Snow. Like they sent him right. to the wall. Yes. Yes. And what has Jared Goff done? Rebuild that franchise. He is very good. 14 games out of the year. He is unplayable the other three games, but he's very good for most of the season. The Lions are rallying around him. He's their guy. Absolutely. This is a, let me show you what I have done. Let me show you the glow up that I have accomplished. Jared Goff game for Detroit. I have so many, so many thoughts on Jared Goff. <laughs> I think you, you asked me about Mike McCarthy and whether that game could determine his future. I kind of think this game could determine Jared Goff's future in Detroit. Which really? Is... Yeah, dude. If he has a stinker. Mm-hmm. I... Like, his, his contract's coming up. That's true. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean next year. I meant like whether they'll give him a long-term deal. Um, I think, awesome. though, just to, to get to the actual matchup, the question I wrote is, can either of these defenses stop either of these offenses? And I think that's sort of the core here because I think both offenses are a lot better than both defenses. Mm-hmm. The Lions defense is interesting to me, Bill, because um, they 
have been very injured and they are getting some guys back in their lineup. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure what the CJ Gardner Johnson played last week. Played last week. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he'll be healthier this week. Um, I don't know what the status is of a McNeil. I know he's back, but might not be back back. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a big loss for them. For sure. It's been an interesting unit. They um, really struggled in the middle of the season. I think since the the run defense has been solid and the pass rush has heated up at times, but there are a lot of holes in coverage. I think the thing that jumps out as being the most um, dangerous for them against this Rams team in particular is uh, versus wide receivers their rank in QBR is 32nd, 87.5. <laughs> well, don't know if you've watched the uh, Los Angeles Rams recently, but they have a few of them. They're pretty hard to defend. I don't really think the Lions can do that. Yes. So if you're the Lions, how do you approach this game? Are You, you have Aiden Hutchinson, who has been excellent this year. Aiden Hutchinson yeah. has been awesome. The other pass rushers that James Houston got hurt, but the other pass rushers have not been as effective. McNeil, a, a solid two-way player, but not, you know, not you don't want him to be your second best pass rusher. And so you have a matchup against Matthew Stafford where if you play coverage, you're probably in trouble. The Rams are or Stafford is number one in the NFL this year when opposing teams do not blitz by QBR. I think he drops to 27th in the NFL when teams do blitz and so that kind it kind of feels like a game where you're terrified because you have cam Sutton, you have cj gardner johnson coming off of being you know having been gone for four months one-on-one in coverage probably in cover one uh against puka nakua and cooper cup who are terrifying against man coverage but getting that pass getting the extra rushers causing stafford to make mistakes is probably your best way to play on defense i agree and i think it, it, your point about the blitz is really interesting because Stafford was unblitzable in his Super Bowl campaign, but this year that's not mm-hmm. necessarily been the case for a litany of reasons. I mean, the offensive line has been much better than they were last year, a big part of the reason why this offense is successful. But I do think that with if you're the Lions, you do play the variance game a little bit with the pass rush purely because I just think coverage, they just don't have the horses uh, back there, especially at corner. Um and, you know, it's, I mean, Stafford, he's, he has been awesome this year, but he has had a couple, similar to Jared Goff, he has had a couple mm-hmm. of turnover reach, you know, his turnovers can tend to come in clusters, games, yes. motions are going to be high. This isn't a revenge game for him. It's like a revenge game for Detroit against him. So mm-hmm. there's that factor as well. Mm-hmm. Don't, I, I don't want Kelly Stafford to get mad at me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking sides. Uh, do you see the fake news about how, like, uh, I forgot who's the patient zero of this fake news that like oh, no. the city of Detroit won't let people wear Matt Stafford jerseys or some kind of crazy, like as though that was enforceable somehow. I don't know. It was just the idea of them throwing out like just thousands of people milling in Stafford jerseys outside the stadium, trying to get in. Um, oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like if, if you're a Lions fan, like you're not mad at Matthew Stafford. It's not like he, you know, that he screwed the roster up for a decade. It was the people around Matthew Stafford. It ended the rare win-win, yes. I feel like, in professional yes. sports. I, I don't. No I think question. most of them don't feel that way. I, to be clear, I. I um, but okay. Well, well, but on the other side, I think this Lions offense can shred Los Angeles too. Well, shred is the wrong word. I think they can run on them. Start there. Um, I think that uh, you know the Rams defense we talked about with 
uh, as it pertains to Raheem Morris, totally outperformed mm-hmm. expectations. You're getting obviously Aaron Donald is still he is still Aaron Donald, by the way. If you watch the Rams, it is still terrifying. I watched I watched that Rams Giants game. He is 100 percent Aaron Donald, and the Giants offensive line is still the Giants offensive. Yeah, line. It is not. It's not pretty. Um, and they've gotten really good contributions from Kobe Turner and Byron Young, Kobe these young players. But, you know, they're 25th in EPA pro to play versus the run. You can still, this Lions team that, of course, is so dominant on the ground should be able to mm. move the ball. For sure. I think that's the logical place for them to go. What I find interesting about this game is how the Rams are going to use Aaron Donald and how the Lions match up to it. So the guy who's been struggling for the Lions over the past six weeks, really since the Packers game on Thanksgiving onward, is Taylor Decker, their left tackle. He's given up like, I went back and watched all their yeah. all their, their pressures, like six and a half sacks over the last six games. The, He's a good the, player. The, is- was it the Cowboys game where he just got toasted? It was... Yes, not ideal. Not, and, not, not good. And Aaron Donald is a defensive tackle. And so nominally... Play him on the interior. They run lots of like TT games with Kobe Turner, where they're you know Aaron Donald is slanting one way. You bring Turner behind him. They're really good at that. But Aaron Donald also lines up outside. They're willing to line him up uh, across from a left tackle and say, "Okay, you're the only guy on this side. We have three other linemen to the right side. They're all going to get one on ones. You're going to get double teamed, but you're Aaron Donald. You can be double teamed sometimes. Like put the the Lions in a bind in terms of how they want to pass protect. And so." I think yeah. from the Lions' perspective, when you get that look, and they're going to get that look in this game, I'm just running the ball. Like I think this is a game where, because Dan Campbell is so comfortable, as we know, going forward and fourth down, I wouldn't be shocked if this was a game where we see third and eight. That might be a rundown for the Lions thinking, we don't want to have Decker hold up in pass protection, and we think we can get eight yards on two plays on the ground. We're going to be comfortable running the ball at David Montgomery or, or Jameer Gibbs in that situation. Yeah, I think that the Lions will go in that direction. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that the Rams will respond by playing a lot of base. So then the question yeah. will be, and there will there be moments, in the, because the Rams play amongst the most base in the NFL, and they're, they're good at yeah. it, but I think there'll be moments, especially if, without Sam Laporta, who's the rookie tight mm-hmm. end, who would normally, then I would say, that's where Sam Laporta comes in, and you're able to you know mm-hmm. get him matched up with a linebacker, but he's not in this game. And, and that, I, at least at the, as of now, and that mm-hmm. I think, is it creates a limitation for them to exploit uh, the Rams defense the way that I think that they'll play them when they run the ball a lot. I still think they'll be mm-hmm. up to success. One more thing about this, the Rams, no one ever talks about this, but when you talk about these playoff games and how close they can be, they suck at special teams. So <laughs> that, is, that is the reason I am picking the lions in this game. They are 32nd in DVOA. On special teams. Always thinking the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nobody mm-hmm. ever talks about special teams. You're like, that's why I'm picking the Lions. It's Lions. it's literally it's literally so I, first off, I don't I don't call you woman. I've I've never in the years we've done I've never been like woman answer this. I was I didn't know what how I was gonna land that. That's why I'm picking them. And then I was like, oh, I'm woman. I don't know. I just want to make it clear that in the in the course of our friendship, which has been many years. Baby, I don't use those words either, I don't believe. Um yeah. no, I mean like like I am literally doing a column for ESPN Plus this week where I'm I'm going through the playoffs and I'm just previewing every game. And the final paragraph in this section is the Rams have terrible special teams and the Lions have pretty good special teams. And that is the reason why I'm picking the Lions in this game. So very, very astute point of view. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, Brett, Brett Maher is kicking for the Lions or for the Rams again. He's back. 
I, I like I, I'm I love talking about randomness and variance in football. I love being like, oh, you can't get you can't overreact to one bad game from a kicker. I mean, this guy missed five extra points in the postseason last year. He got he's, cut earlier this season. They brought him back. He missed an extra point last week. He's missed two I, extra points this year. He's making less than 74% of his field goals. They're also bad at punt returns and mm-hmm. I, I, punt coverage. Like, it's just, they're bad. It's not good. Yeah. And, and in a close it, game like this. Yes, I think that will be the difference. I think Maher will miss a field goal or an extra point. It'll change the way the, the fourth quarter plays out. Mm-hmm. I think the Lions will win. What do you I'm think? Taking, I, I am. Oh, this is the one where I've been going back and forth the most. I do. I'm leaning Detroit as well uh, mm-hmm. because I think. Yeah, I, 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 there's a few reasons. All right. Uh, Eagles Bucks. Let's wrap here. We are going to this game. NFL Live will be on site in Tampa for this absolute wow. banger of a playoff game. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the Eagles are limping into the playoffs. It's, so are the Bucks, though. So are the, yeah. The Baker is. Yeah, li- literally limping. He's with yes. ribs, Ooh. ribs, but, ankle, Jalen finger. This is this is tough. <laughs> I mean, I, this is the. I'm sure we have the exact same thing written down, which is can Jalen Hurts beat the blitz? Can he? <laughs> Right. I mean, this is this is the, the, the obvious question with this game. This was the question the last time these teams played in the postseason back in 2021. He could not. Uh, it is something that he has struggled with greatly this season for a litany of interesting and complicated reasons. It is something that we know Todd Bowles, who is called Blitz the third highest rate in the NFL, mm-hmm. is going to do to Jalen Hurts. So, Bill, what do you think? This is almost literally word for word from my preview of this game. The Eagles offense also doesn't match up well with Todd Bowles' specialty. Um, It is a problem, and it's a problem not just in terms of talent, but in terms of the schematics. If you watch JT O'Sullivan, who we've talked about, um, who does great work covering the NFL, um, when he watches the Eagles offense, same thing every time. They don't have hot reads. They don't have easy answers for the blitz. Their answers are, we're going to beat it with Jalen Hurts running away from a free rusher. We're going to beat it with um, AJ Brown winning a 50-50 ball. Like they don't have these built-in answers that a lot of offenses have. And that's, that's something they could get away with last year. I don't know if that's something they can get away with this year, especially if Jalen Hurts is banged up, especially if AJ Brown can't play when he suffered a knee injury last week, especially if Devontae Smith is way less than 100%. And so Nothing about that screams we're going to succeed unless the Eagles run the ball well, which I think there's like some kind of like flop lag where the Buccaneers run defense is fine. It's not the run defense. It was a couple of years ago where it was yeah. just like, you Dominant. can't run. Like that's like, that was, that's, that's Tennessee. Now is like that Bucks defense from a couple of years ago. Like, I think the, the, this has to be a DeAndre Swift game to me in terms of running and also catching the ball and maybe stretching out those linebackers a bit. Well, that's that's what happened in week three when they played. They dominated them on the ground, and um, I do think this. Yeah, the, the Bucks run defense isn't as as great as they were a few years ago, but they're still pretty good. Uh, it's yes, still challenging, sure. and so I think that you're going to have to get the best Eagles rushing performance you've gotten in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I just I don't know. Uh, I I think. Spuck's defense is kind of rounded into form as yep. the weeks have gone on. They've gotten healthier. I think that the defensive line is playing really well. 
Um, mm-hmm. Devin White has played better in recent weeks at linebacker. By the way, last time they played, they didn't have Carlton Davis. Yep. Um, and that's the other final point I guess I would have on this um, this that side of the ball in the Bucks defense. So one area where they are very vulnerable this year is uh, on go balls. They are allowing mm-hmm. a QBR of 100 on go balls this season, uh, which also they're, you know, 30th on deep passes generally in, mm-hmm. in uh, QBR, 26 outside the numbers. Go balls tend to be what that is. Um, the Seagulls offense is really erratic, really untrustworthy. However, they're still good at throwing go balls to those two wide receivers. So if they can, if, if he can connect with them a few times, I do think the opportunities will be there. I but I had a theory it. a couple of years ago where um, Greg Ward would always inevitably be like the number one receiver for an Eagles game in December every single season. It kind of feels like that might be the case again on Sunday, like or, or this weekend. Like they like are. Chris Watkins. Yes, they. Chris Watkins, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus. I think Dominique Dominique was arguing for Zacchaeus to have like a big role um, in this game. Like they need if they don't have AJ Brown. Like, do they have that guy who can win on those go rounds? Because. I, yeah. We saw Houston pick apart the the Bucks with go routes in that game, but the Eagles might not have the horses anymore. I mean, they really are so banked up on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the other side is worse. Worse for different reasons, though. The Eagles are healthy on the defensive side of the ball. They just suck. They're just terrible at football suddenly. So it's and that playing. is very it's disconcerting. Because that's huge if he plays. We, we don't know. He was really good the first time these two teams played. And I don't want to say he has to play for them to win because the Bucs are not a great team, but I think it shifts from the Eagles being favorites to the Bucs being favorites if he doesn't play. More than anybody besides Hurts, I think he has to be in this game and playing well. What? So I think the Bucs, the Eagles, probably the Eagles' defensive issues in the secondary and at linebacker are very easily explained. Up front, I think, is where it gets interesting and where there would be the most hope for a turnaround because there's yes. still talent on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. However, pressure levels have fallen off since week 13, 28th in pressure rate. Pass rush win has fallen off a cliff. All the all the stats, stacks. Um, what do you attribute that to when you watch them? I... You know, it's a really good question. I, I think I, I haven't looked at it, but I would, I would be surprised if quarterbacks were not getting the ball out quicker just because they're not as confused about coverage. The Eagles are yeah. blowing so many assignments week after week and that I think there are easy answers for this defense week after week. Um, the edge rushers, I think, just aren't playing as well. I mean, Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, and Brandon Graham, they had 38 sacks last year, I believe. They had 19 and a half. They had... 21, I believe, this year. They have no sacks in a month. And mm-hmm. like, yes, you can do like you can, you know, use your fronts to create more one-on-ones. You can run TE games, try and get them, you know, get them opportunities. At the end of the day, you're paying Sweat and Reddick, your two core guys, to win one-on-one. And they are not. Brandon Graham is a wonderful player. He has been playing since before I was writing for a career, I believe. He was playing before Pete Carroll was head coach of the Seahawks, I believe. He may have gotten old at the wrong time. Fletcher Cox is a great player and has been a great player for a long time and is still good. 
he may not be the player he was. Jalen Carter is a good player and an exciting prospect. He looks a little worn down, even though he's one of the few players who has sacks over the second half of the season. Jordan Davis has been a disappointment. Like I think going from Javon Hargrave to Jalen Carter, having the holes in the secondary, having the holes at linebacker, and maybe getting a little less out of Graham, getting a lot less out of Graham, a little less out of Reddick and Sweat. I think all that's added up. And so I don't think it's like one single problem, but you have, you know, the system where like you're, you knew you were, you knew you were changing linebackers. You knew you were changing the safeties. You lose Maddox early in the season. Like this was a defense that was going to have to survive this year based on their pass rush diving. And since it is kind of regressed back to kind of bad, which is very surprising to me, but, but not all that great. I think everything else has fallen apart around him. I think you nailed something really significant there that can get lost, which is uh, the relationship between pass rush and coverage. Um, mm-hmm. Cause there's no reason not to just throw at the linebackers constantly. And there's, or, or yeah, I mean, there's just always easy answers in the past game. And that makes life very hard for a pass rush that has struggled on their own merits. And, and I think the defensive tackles in particular strike me mm-hmm. as really not playing the way they were at the very beginning of the season. Although the edge rushers, you know, I, there's it, that would I would say more game to game. Sometimes there's some games where they either disappear or they're in coverage for God knows what reason. <laughs> but 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 the point yeah. is, to, I think you you nailed something, which is, I mean, quick game just kills this team right now. And I think that's right. uh, for for Tampa a pretty easy solve because Baker's been a really good quick game quarterback this year. He was actually decent throwing the ball quick the last time these teams played. It was mm-hmm. when he held on to the football that there were problems. There's no reason for him to hold on to the football for more than two and a half seconds in this game, because you can easily mm-hmm. matriculate your way up and down the field against this back seven. And yeah, it's, it's I it, for the Eagles to have a chance to rebound. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say two things have to happen. Slay needs to ret- come back and play at the level he did last time these teams played, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had him on Evans a fair amount or yeah. Evans had 60 yards on 10 targets. Like he had a touchdown. So it wasn't like Evans was shut down altogether, but they did enough to slow down Evans and then very little happened around Evans. And uh, I think they put Bradbury on Godwin. I was looking back at my notes mm-hmm. from this game. So the, the, those corners need to play a lot better. And then the pass rush needs to be much more effective than they've been in recent weeks. Yeah, I mean, Matt Patricia has been using Nolan Smith as an off-ball linebacker. That's been like one of the changes he made. It's weird because... Like when you think about Patricia with the Patriots and the Lions, he was always like, we're going to be the most man heavy defense in football. Doesn't matter who we got back there. That's what we do. He's been running zone more than Sean Desai ran zone with the Eagles. So I think at least he's aware that the secondary is terrible and they shouldn't be a man coverage. But it feels like if you're not bringing him at Patricia and having him implement the stuff that he's done well in the past or wanted to do in the past, like, yeah, what are you really getting out of this? And Nothing I would be, I would be apprehensive of playing main coverage against this past this uh, right too. Group, especially, I don't. I, I would just, too. I mean, I don't think there's any the combination of Godwin and Evans. I just don't think they have answers for right now the way these guys yeah. are running. I I think the best way for the Eagles to hold up on defense in this game is the Bucks are terrible running the football. They were last year. Yes. They're bad this year. Like Rashad White has numbers because he's the only back who gets the ball, but they're super inefficient running the football. Uh, I think they're last or next to last in rush yards over bad. expectation. Like they are bad in every way running the football. And if you're the Eagles, you're hoping that you get a game where 
there in a lot of third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, and God willing, your pass rush gets home because that is the formula for the Eagles in this game, I think, is just getting a third and long and hoping that Hassan Reddick pushes back the years. And on that same, on the flip side of that, if you're Dave Canales, don't run, run pass, man. You don't have to. Just throw it to White. They can't defend him. Right. Throw it to anybody. Throw it to anybody. The Giants were like, the Giants were falling out with like Darius Slayton last week and and like they had Wondell Robinson running free for 35 yard gains. Like just just get the ball out and you will win this game. That's all it is. We've been going through all these defenses and and trying to point out, well, they're vulnerable against, you know, when they're in man or cover three or whatever. The Eagles are bad at everything. I, I haven't brought any there's no splits necessary. You can attack literally everything on this defense right now. Mm-hmm. Don't run the ball. It's so, a waste. Having said all that, you can also run the ball, but not you. <laughs> yes. Not having said all that, are you picking the Buccaneers to win this game? Or are you picking? The I don't know. I can I can I tell you? I think we're feeling the same thing. Want to pick the Bucks, but are afraid to. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um. I pick the Eagles. In my I'm comments. probably going to pick the Eagles. I think that there is a strong possibility that we get a great run get running performance out of this offense. Um, and I do think maybe I'll be, I'll do the cop out thing and say, let me wait for the status of AJ Brown. If AJ I Brown can't believe, I can't believe you would cop out with the listeners and viewers of the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny waiting for your, your pick on this game, Mina. All right. Well, I'm I'm leaning Eagles right now. I don't know. I I have time on this game. Um, Bill, this was great. I loved having <laughs> you on. Um, you guys can check out Bill's work in many places right now, but the Bill Barnwell Show is on uh, wherever you get your pods is one place to do it. We haven't gone against each other on Around the Horn yet. Now that I'm back in the mix, I'm looking forward to that at some point. You can watch this show on YouTube if you want to see me do the pan motion of the roller coaster as I was talking about Jordan Love as opposed to the uh, verbal description. But um, in the meantime, enjoy the games. I will be back on Tuesday, a little bit later in the day because I'll be traveling back from Tampa. Uh, And yeah, thanks as always to the fine folks at Omaha, Kirsten Sebecki, Anthony Jimenez, Owen Saylor, who help out with this podcast. And I'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 